And now JT will come and uh, continue our Linton series. Thanks, guys. Yeah, heard a couple cheers. People yelling my name, that's cool. I feel like I'm like a sports star or something. Hey, so uh, last week we started this kind of mini-series um, <clears throat> that's basically leading up to Easter. So it's like the, the last few stories or events that happened to Jesus before um, Easter Sunday, before he rose from the dead, before he died on the cross. And, and next week we're going to be doing Palm Sunday. So it's like, what happened right before that? What led to that? <clears throat> and before we jump into that, I just want to tell you a quick little story. Um, I, I just realized I've been a worship leader now for about 15 years, which I'm only 20 years old, so that's pretty crazy. Um, no, I'm getting old. No, I, but I've been a worship leader for 15 years, and I remember when I was in high school, I led worship for my youth group um, at Vineyard Columbus, and uh, I had some guys take me to this like college-age worship conference, and I've always had like kind of mentors in the worship community who've been doing it a little bit longer than me. And they took me to this worship conference, and I remember um, the, it started off, and it was just, it was awesome. Like, the band was cool, they sounded amazing, and I was just looking around, and it was just really powerful, passionate worship. Um, and I just watched, I was watching these people, like, raising their hands and just really getting into it. And I noticed that, in, in myself, that I felt like a spectator almost, right? Like I was watching these people being a part of something. And, you know, like they were, they were experiencing something. They were, you know, involved in something that, you know, I was just kind of watching. Like I kind of felt like maybe I was a fraud. I don't know. Like it was weird. And, I, and I've noticed in my life um, that there are times like this for me. You know, there might be, it might be a season, it might be just a, a morning or, or whatever, but there, there will be times where I just feel like I'm not connecting to worship. I'm not experiencing worship like I should be or like everyone else is. And, and, and I imagine there are people here this morning who feel like that. Like if we're honest, we would say, yeah, there are some times where just worship is a struggle. Like worship is hard. I don't, I don't quite get it sometimes. And, and maybe this morning... You're feeling like that. Like, I thought worship was really powerful this morning. I, it, was, it was just, yeah, wasn't it? It was, it was amazing. And, and maybe you were sitting there just kind of feeling like, okay, I'm missing something. I, I don't know exactly what's going on here. You know, and as a worship leader, I regularly get asked stuff like that. Like, you know, I don't get the point of of worship. I just don't understand why we sing these songs or, or, or people talk about how they have a hard time in worship or it's just a struggle for them and they don't know what to do. Should I put my hands up or what? But, and maybe for some of you, like, you do not relate to this. You were like, no, worship, I love worship. I'm, I'm you know, always super into worship. I wish we would worship, you know, the whole, the whole service. Um, but hopefully, as a follower of, of Jesus, you would say that you have a desire to grow in your worship, that you have a, have a, a passion to, to learn how to worship more and have a deeper understanding of it. So today, we're, what we're going to be looking at is a story that I really believe is like a perfect illustration of worship, that it's, it is like the epitome of worship. Um, 
And in this story, I believe it lays out these four different ideas that I, I feel will really enhance our worship as individuals and also just as a church. So um, if you want to open up your Bibles, we're in John chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have a few here on the, on the stage and some on the sound booth back there. Feel free. If you don't have a Bible at home, take it with you. They're, they're, we'd love for, for you to have one. So while you guys are looking up John chapter 12, I'm just going to pray real fast. So Lord, I just, I just pray that you, you let me uh, communicate the words that you've put on my heart. Um, I pray that I say nothing more, nothing less, but just, just the words that you've put on my heart. And, uh, I just pray that you be here with me and, and with us as we study your word. In your name, amen. So if you remember last week, we talked about the story of Lazarus. Um, Lazarus was a, a good, good friend of Jesus, him and his, his sisters Mary and Martha, and uh, they lived in a town called Bethany, and Lazarus got really sick and uh, ended up dying. And Jesus kind of, they called for Jesus to come before he died. And for some reason, he, he wasn't able to or didn't show up until a few days after Lazarus died. So Lazarus was dead for a few days. And Jesus shows up and Mary and Martha kind of meet him and basically just say, you know, if you would have showed up earlier, uh, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. But I know you can still do something now, but, you know, I don't know how you could. You know, it's kind of wrestling with this idea of, I know you're powerful. I know you're God. But, but I'm really struggling here. I don't know what you're doing. You know, this is part of the normal Christian life for us. This is something that we can kind of expect to experience in, in, in our walk with Jesus. You know, the struggle of, I do trust you, Lord, but I am really having trouble trusting you, Lord. Can you relate to that? You know, Mary and Martha, they couldn't see the whole story. They were in the middle of this story. They couldn't see what Jesus was about to do. And in this particular story, what Jesus does is he walks up to the tomb where Lazarus is buried, and he calls Lazarus to come forth. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus gets up. He raises from the dead and walks forward. And it's, it's just this amazing story. It's beautiful. I love it. And usually that's where we stop in the story is Lazarus coming back from the dead. But now, today, we're going to talk about what happened right after that. So we're in John chapter 12. And I'm just going to pick up right in verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, which it basically is a week before Jesus dies on the cross. So this is right at the end. So six days before the, the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where, G where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So let's stop there for a second. So essentially what's going on is they are throwing a huge party to celebrate what Jesus had just done. They're, they're celebrating Jesus and just Lazarus coming back to the, to the dead. And if, if you looked at the chapter before in chapter 11, you would see that this was pretty dangerous for them to do, actually. Um, the places that they, were eat, that they would eat was kind of in uh, open air, so it was, this would have been somewhat in public, this kind of celebration. And... Uh, 
Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was kind of the last straw for the religious leaders. They already didn't like Jesus, and this was kind of the thing where they were like, okay, this is getting to be a big deal. He just, he just like brought this guy back to, to life. So this is where the plot to kill him really started to take form. And actually, they wanted to kill Lazarus, too, because he was kind of the star witness. He was like, I, I was dead a few days ago, and now I'm alive. So, um, and Jesus and his disciples, they would have known this. This was the talk around town. Remember, it says Passover was coming up. And so this, was, this is the, the biggest holiday in, in, Jewish, in the Jewish world, Passover. Um, and so everyone would come back to Jerusalem and celebrate, and everyone was talking, is Jesus going to show up? Is Jesus going to show up? Is he going to show his face or is he going to go in hiding? And Jesus basically, by having this party, is saying, I'm not going in hiding. We're part- it's party time. So they decide to have this dinner party. And just as a cool aside real fast, the house that they have the party at and some other accounts of the story, they say it was a leper that Jesus had, had healed. So this must have been a really cool celebration. Like there's people saying, you've done a lot, Jesus. I would, I would love to be there. Okay, so they're having this dinner party, and then something really profound happens. Let's, let's pick back up. It says, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. Mary is the, the sister of Lazarus. Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Okay, before we jump in, let me just address something really fast. I often get that, that here, that, that last line, that you will always have the poor among you, used in a way that I don't think it was intended to be used for. Um, oftentimes, I, I hear people say that when they're justifying not helping the poor or the needy. Like someone, you know, doesn't give someone money and says, well, the poor will always be among you. Or, uh, you know, something like that. But I, I don't think that that's what it means at all. I, I, don't, I think that's poor. And, and this, this may be really helpful. You know, sometimes you can read something like that, like Jesus saying, the poor will always be among you, and feel like, wow, that seems, that seems kind of mean-spirited. Or that seems callous, or that doesn't seem nice. And, and what, what, what you need to do, when you come across something in Scripture that... that I call like a problem text or a difficult text. Um, sometimes it's, you know, what do you do? Do you just sweep it under the rug? Do you just think, well, I'm not going to, I won't think about that one. Uh, or, or do you, you know, dive in? And one thing that's really helpful that I, I found is um, when you come across something in the Bible that's hard to understand, the first thing that you need to do is compare it with the rest of the Bible. See what the rest of the Bible says about this certain subject. Another way of saying that is you interpret Scripture using Scripture. So when there's something in the Bible you don't understand, see what the rest of the Bible says about it, and a lot of times, actually, it'll, it'll start making more sense. You'll be like, oh, I get what he's saying. 
So, so with this particular one, if we look at what Jesus taught, if we look at what Jesus taught, he taught a lot about the poor. He talked about the poor a lot. He was actually a huge, huge advocate for the poor. He makes it very clear over and over again that the way we treat the poor, the way we treat the needy, is extremely important. So obviously him saying the poor will always be among you, it, it can't mean that the poor don't matter because that doesn't go along with everything else that he says. And actually, if you, if you dig a little deeper, you'll see the poor will always be among you. Was, he was quoting scripture. He was quoting Deuteronomy 15, 11, which actually goes on to say, the poor will always be among you. That is why I command you to share freely with the poor. So basically what Jesus is saying is, Obviously, the poor are important. Obviously, the way we treat the poor is important. But what's happening right now is even more important. So the events that are about to unfold, my death, my resurrection, all this stuff that's about to happen is, is, is way more important than anything. It's the most important thing. So he's not devaluing the poor at all. He's just highlighting the, the events that are about to happen. So if you ever hear someone use that to, to kind of devalue taking care of the poor, they're wrong, and uh, you can tell them I said so. No, I'm just joking. But if you have any questions about that or anything like that, please, you can come talk to me afterwards, but let's, let's move on. So, okay, so what's just happened in the story? What did Mary just do? So they're, they're at this dinner party celebrating Jesus, and everyone's eating, and, and, and Mary, the sister of Lazarus, she comes and she falls to Jesus' feet. And she takes her perfume, this, 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 this jar of perfume, and she pours it on his feet. She begins to anoint him with this oil. And then she, she lets down her hair. She takes her hair down and begins to clean his feet with her hair. So what does this have to do with worship? I believe that what she's doing is worship. What she's doing is the epitome of worship. You know, in, in these actions, in this short little thing, we can learn so much about worship. The first thing that we can see is worship. Worship is a response. Worship is a response. This was Mary's response to what Jesus had done for her. This was Mary's response to what Jesus had just done. Listen to this quote. It says, Worship is the believer's response of all that he is, mind, emotion, will, and body, to all that God is and says and does. It says, it is a loving response that is balanced by the fear of the Lord. And it's a deepening response as the believer comes to know God better. Essentially what this is saying is worship is our response to who God is and to what he has done. Worship is a response. And I love how it says here that worship is a deepening response. That it grows. The more we get to know God, the deeper our worship will become. The more we see his power, his majesty. The more we see his love or his provision or his faithfulness, the deeper our worship will become. So for Mary, this was a response to, to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And probably a lot of other things, but primarily Jesus just rose her brother from the dead. And, and here's what's cool. 
Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was an amazing event. It was amazing. But really, what it was, it was a picture of what Jesus came to do for all of us. Jesus came to raise us all from the dead. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. So it's saying you were dead. You were as dead as Lazarus. And it goes on to say in verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Saying we were dead, but now in Christ we are alive. We have been raised from the dead, just like Lazarus. Him raising Lazarus from the dead was a picture of what he intended to do for all of us. And that in and of itself is reason to worship. You know, we may be in the midst of darkness like we talked about last week. Remember, we might be going through some really hard times. And we, just like Mary and Martha, we may not be able to see the end of the story. But the f- simple fact that God saved us from our sins, that God forgave us, that's reason to worship. That's, that's reason to, to worship. And not only that, you know, we have this promise that one day God is going to make all things right. He's going to make all things new. He's going to wipe every tear And that God will never leave us or forsake us. And the Bible says that that God will take the worst situations, the worst thing that you can imagine, and he will use it to bless us, even if it doesn't make any sense. You know, so we may be broke. We may be, you know, losing our job. We may be going through a divorce or, 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 or sick or, or we may have lost a loved one, or our kids may be going through something, or I don't know, you might be going through the hardest thing you've ever gone through. And, and hear me out, in those times, it is totally appropriate, and not just appropriate, it's healthy to grieve, it's healthy to mourn, and, and even it, it's, it's totally appropriate and normal to ask questions, to say, where are you, God? But you can rest assured that there will be a happy ending. That the story is not finished yet. There is a happy ending. God is going to make all things right someday. Maybe, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not the next day, but God will make all things right. And that's, reasons, that's a reason to worship. You know, I always tell Satan that, you know, when I'm in the midst of those times, that you, you may take away everything from me, you can't take away my worship. You won't take away my worship because my, my worship is my response to Jesus. You can't steal that from me. And not only that, we have a God who draws near to us, who speaks to us, who interacts with us, who brings that future hope, that future promise here today. 
Maybe not in its fullness, but we get a taste of that future hope, that making all things right. That's why we see healings. We see people being delivered. We see people who are having these breakthroughs in their life. And we, 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 have, we can experience Jesus today. That's reasons to worship. So worship is a response to what God has done, but it's also, it's a response to just who he is, his character. He is mighty. He's strong. He's loving. He's kind. He's generous. He is the beginning and the end. He is the creator of the world. Worship is a response to who God is and to what he has done. So so let's, let's move on. So worship is a response, but the next thing we see here is worship is also a posture. Worship is a posture. And this, this is something that Mary really got. Mary really understood this. She understood this from the very beginning. Um, you know, there are three times in the Gospels where we see Mary. And you know what's the, what's the, uh, what they all have in common, all three of these stories? Mary is at the feet of Jesus in all three of these stories. She falls to his feet on all three of the times we see her in the Gospels. I, there, I mean, there's, there's so many implications to that, especially with her being a woman, and so many really cool things that we can't get into, but I wish I could. But really, primarily, this was a sign of humility. This was a sign of honor. This was a sign of her saying, you are teacher, you are, you are king, you are authority. It's a sign of humility. It's, it's her falling to his feet. And our worship needs to come from that place. Our worship needs to, to come from a place of humility and, and honor. That it's all, about, it's all about honoring him. You know, if you open up the Psalms, you'll see this over and over again. Um, one of my favorite Psalms, I'm just going to read it to you, or part of it at least, is Psalm 95. Um, and it says this, it says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, in, uh, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, this is, the, this is the posture part. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are his, the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. I love that. It's all about him. He is God. He is king. We are to fall at his feet. He is father. He is master. He is Lord. He is the authority. We must fall to his feet. You know, it's so common in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when you would see people enter the presence of God, you know, they would fall flat on their face. Oftentimes involuntary. They're just falling on their face because of the power of God. The Bible tells us that he is to be feared. Do you know that? We are to fear God. And that doesn't mean that we are, we are supposed to be scared of him. That's not what it means. It means that we should recognize that he is mighty. That he holds the universe in his hands. 
And he is completely holy, without sin. And we should have a, a, a reverence for that. That's what it means. We should have a, a deep respect and awe of his power and his might and his authority. It's, and he, listen, it's totally true. Like, if you read throughout Scripture, it's totally true that Jesus is our friend. Jesus is kind. Jesus is, is our comforter. And, and he's, he's loving. And, and, and we, we, we love that part. And oftentimes, though, we forget that he is the reigning king. He is powerful. Like I said, he holds the universe in his hands. He is, he is, he is infinite. I love the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. It's, uh, it's kind of an allegory for the gospel. Um, that is written by C.S. Lewis. It's a, it's a children's series. Um, most of you guys are familiar with it. I don't think I need to explain what it is. But there's a part where, where the, the kids in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they're going to meet Aslan, who represents Jesus. And uh, one of the kids uh, asked Mr. Beaver if uh, uh, Aslan is a man. So they're, they're about to meet him. And Mr. Beaver says this. He says, Aslan a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the woods and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. And make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver, if there is anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I love that. That's, that's a, an awesome picture of that respect, that all that we should have to the Lord, that our eyes should be focused on him. It's saying, you are God, you are all-powerful, and I am not. You are the king, and I am not. And this is what we are created for. We are created to worship God, to fall at his feet. We are created to bring God glory and honor. And a couple months ago, you remember Michael did this series about a healthy church is a church that is, is, is a worshiping church. A healthy church worships. And he showed this video of John Wimber. And John Wimber, remember, he said that people come to him and they'll say things like, you know, I didn't, I didn't get much out of worship this morning. And remember what, what John Wimber said. He said, you aren't supposed to get anything out of worship. You are supposed to give. It's not for you, it's for him. Remember that? I think that's so good. Worship is about how wonderful he is, how amazing he is, how awesome he is. And, and, and if we get anything out of it, then that's, that's a bonus. That's the cherry on top, but that's not the point. And even taking it a step further, what I've seen in my life is oftentimes I only worship when I feel like worshiping. Right? If, there, if I'm having a rough morning, I'm like, I don't feel like worshiping today. You know, we, feel, we worship God when we've been moved to worship, right? But that's not how it works. 
Listen to this quote. It says, Worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling which comes upon you. But it is vital that we understand that it is rooted in a conscious act of will to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship is a decision that you make. It's not something that you just kind of feel and it comes out of you. Worship is a decision. It's a conscious act of will where you say, I am choosing to worship the Lord. Just like that song we sang where it's like, even in the darkness, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise you. Blessed be your name. No matter what happens, I'm going to sing your praise. It's a decision. We need to bow at his feet. We have it so backwards. It's not about us. It's about him. And, and here's what's cool, though. Even though it is all about him, here's what's amazing. If it's, it's when we are focused on him that, that, we, that we experience the fullness of life. It's when we are focused on him that we, that we experience the fullness of life because that's what we are created to do. Like, we get to really experience what we were made for when we are focused on him. But we are so focused on our needs. We're so focused on ourselves. I know I become so just inward focused on what I need and, and you know, that, that I, I just get stuck. I get in these ruts. But it's when we are focused on him that we grow. It's, it's when we are focused on him that we, we are moving forward. Because you know he's dying to have a relationship with you. He's dying to just love on you. To, to speak to you. To talk with you. To share with you his kingdom. To share, to share his secrets with you. And he's just waiting for us to, to, you know, get our eyes off of our shoes or off of our belly button and look at him to see what he wants to give us. Saying, God, you are the source. You are what brings life. You know, when, when, when I gave my life back to the Lord in my early 20s, I said this prayer where I said, you know, Lord, I'm so sick of asking you to be a part of my life. Lord, I'm asking you, I'm sick of asking you to go where I go. I want to be where you are. I want to go where you go. And it was when I took my eyes off of myself just for for a moment that it was was life-changing. And sometimes we will have those life-changing moments where we focus, we stop focusing on ourselves and focus on him. But sometimes, most of the time, it's this process. It's this process. It, it might not be this instant thing, but it, 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 remember, it's a deepening response. Worship is all about God. Look at, look at Judas's response to what Mary does in this story. So Mary dumps out this oil all, all over his feet, and Jesus, or Judas says, you could have sold that and given the money to the poor. And that's, I mean, honestly, that sounds like kind of a reasonable thing to say. I would have probably said something similar. But and when we see that Judas was, was, was his, mo- his motivation was just to steal money. But even if it wasn't, even if that wasn't the motivation, he would still be missing the point. You know, sometimes in our lives we are so focused on doing what is right that we, we, we miss the point. We miss what is more important than doing what is right. Here's, here's what I mean. Um, he wants to t- us to take 
the focus off of the things that we are doing, the, you know, doing the right thing and not doing the wrong things, and direct it towards him. He wants us to stop focus on what we are doing or not doing and focus on him. So, so in a sense, I'm saying stop trying to be a good person. You know, stop trying to, to live a good life. And I bet you've never heard a sermon where they, the pastor told you to stop trying to be a good person. But here's, here's what I mean. How we live is really important. Making good decisions is super important. Being obedient is very important. But God is not calling us to live a life of, of what, what we oftentimes refer to as sin management. You know, doing the good things and not doing the bad things. That's not what he's calling us to do. He is calling us to live a life of worship where our eyes are focused on him. And you know what the overflow of worship is? You know what happens when our eyes are focused on Jesus? Obedience. Obedience. Because God is the one who changes us. Jesus is the one that empowers us to make these good decisions. So I'm, I, I'm not saying, so go out and be crazy. I'm saying focus your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the one who's going to empower you to, to live the life that he's calling you to live. So worship is a posture. It's all, it's all about saying, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me. So let's move on. Next, worship is a sacrifice. Worship is a sacrifice. We see this demonstrated by Mary pouring out this perfume, the pint of pure nard. This was a huge sacrifice. You know, this wasn't like a bottle of perfume like we think of today. Like, uh, when I was a little kid, I used to wear Brut, and it's not like pouring out like a little bottle of Brut or something. That's not what it is. Um, the equivalent of this, this would have been worth somewhere around twenty to $50,000. Yeah, that's a lot. It says it was worth like a year's wage. This is like somewhere around twenty to $50,000. So we don't know how she came upon this. You know, oftentimes this would be like an inheritance. Like this could have been passed down from uh, generation to generation because it was really hard to import these oils in. But uh, so it could have been something that like, you know, her, her parents gave to her, um, it could have been something that she had saved up for for years and years. That was really common that you would save up to buy something like this and it would be kind of like your nest egg when you had to retire. Um, that you, you know, if something bad happened, you'd have this. Um, but we, we don't know. But what we do know is that pouring it out on Jesus' feet w would have been a huge sacrifice. And our worship must be a sacrifice. Our worship needs to cost us something. Romans 12 says this. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. To offer yourself as a living sacrifice. This means that we are to give everything to the Lord. All that we are. All that we have. Everything, we are to offer it to the Lord. We're to say, there is nothing off limits, Lord. There's nothing off limits. Not my money, not my time, not my relationships, not my, my sexuality, not my, my comfort. 
That's a big one. That, that hits me. My comfort's not off limits. There's nothing that's off limits. Let me be clear. When I say that worship must cost us something, I'm not saying that we are buying anything. Because God's grace, his love, God's mercy, um, everything that God gives us is free. It's all a free gift. You know, his affection, his, 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 his power, it's all free. Our worship, just like we said earlier, is a response to those free gifts. It's a response to how generous God has been. And saying, Lord, you've been so generous. You gave your life for me. That, that you know, my only response is to give you my life. You know, if we want to have a life of worship, if we want to have a healthy relationship with God, we must give everything because he gave everything. And again, not to earn it, but that's just how intimate relationships work. Do you know that? That's how an intimate relationship works. Whenever I, I do a wedding, um, wh- what I always say is, is marriage isn't a 50-50 agreement. It's not you give 50%, I'll give 50%, or you know, we'll meet halfway. It's, it's both people, both parties saying, I will give everything. I'm going to give 100%. And, and marriage is a picture of our relationship with God. Marriage is a relationship, uh, or a picture of our relationship with God. So we're to do the same thing with Jesus. He gives everything freely. And so we should give everything back. Not, not you know, to earn anything, but just because that's how re- intimate relationships work. He loves us. He adores us. He, he, you know, pours his blessing out on us no matter what. But again, sometimes we become so focused on what we want that we just don't see it. So getting our, our eyes off our needs and, you know, what we think we deserve and focusing on, on giving to him can be so powerful. And you know what? The truth is... <laughs> the, I know a lot of you guys will will relate to this. The closer we get to him, oftentimes the more he asks us to sacrifice. He says, I want you to give this to me now. You know, this is unhealthy. Let's deal with this now. Or this this has become an idol. Let's deal with it. You know, I know at one point in my life, I was a, uh, I played in a lot of bands, and I, that that was my, my dream and my hope, and what, what my plan was for my life. I wanted to be a musician, and um, I, I, I really loved playing in bands, and I remember at one point, I felt like the Lord told me he wanted me to give it up. And not because playing in bands is a bad thing, but my relationship to it had become unhealthy. I was beginning to find my identity in it, and he was saying, you know, I want you to give this up. And that was really difficult for me, um, it actually took me years to give it up. Uh, and, and then recently, just a couple weeks ago, <laughs> the Lord asked me to give up my record collection. Um, and if you know me, you know I love my records. Like, I've spent years collecting them, and uh, I've spent lots of money and time, like, finding, like, that record that's really hard to find. And I've kept them in great condition and they're alphabetized and I listen to them all the time but I felt like the Lord was saying to me I want you to give them away to this person 
And I was like, are you, are you sure, God? But uh, I, I did, but it was, it was still so hard. It was really difficult. But I've, just, I've learned over the years that God is going to ask us to sacrifice. And sometimes it seems silly, but there's always a purpose behind it. We may not realize it, but there's always a purpose behind it. God is all about transforming us and wanting, us, wanting to make us who he created us to be. But it requires us to say, everything is yours, God. You can do with it as you see fit, and I trust you. And that's worship. We're, and so, so today, ask the Lord, what are you asking me to sacrifice? It's worship. What are you asking me to, to sacrifice? You know, for some people around the world, their worship may literally cost them their life. You know, I was talking to my brother yesterday who's a, who is a missionary in Brazil. And we, were, we were FaceTiming and he was saying that, that, uh, that initial sacrifice of picking up and moving to Brazil was actually easy. He's saying doing that, the big thing that is like kind of, you know, romantic and, and huge, it was actually easier. He was like the harder sacrifices are like those everyday ones. God is saying, hey, I want you to, you know, go talk to your neighbor regularly, or I want you to stop doing this. Like, those can be the harder sacrifices sometimes, I find. But worship is a sacrifice. So today, ask the Lord, what, what, are, you, what are you asking me to sacrifice? Maybe he's asking you to sacrifice how you spend your free time. Maybe he's asking you to sacrifice money, some, some of your retirement or an inheritance or something. Maybe he's, he's asking you to sacrifice things, or maybe he's asking you to sacrifice an attitude or a behavior. And remember, sometimes the things that he's asking us to sacrifice, they're maybe, maybe they're not bad things. But worship is a sacrifice. Let's move on and, and end it with this. Worship is extravagant. Worship is extravagant. Extravagant means exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. So worship must exceed what is reasonable or appropriate. Mary obviously did this with pouring the oil, but you know what I think is a better picture of this? Mary did this when she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. That was extravagant. And this kind of gets lost on us today, but in that culture, it was, it was a very hard culture for women. It was, they, they were very tough on women in this culture, and lots of things, if you look at the story, are really powerful with that, but one thing is that a woman was never to let down her hair in this culture. You know, a respectable woman would never do that. Basically, it meant that, that she was, you know, a prostitute or at the very least a loose woman. That a, a woman was only to let her hair down with her husband and the privacy of their own home. And so her to do this was basically saying, um, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't care what anyone else says about me. I just care what you think. Like, my identity is in you, Jesus. We are called to worship with that kind of abandon, saying, I don't care what anyone else thinks. It's just all about you, Jesus. My, my identity, my, my dignity, my, my, you know, all that stuff is, is in you. You know, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, there's this awesome story about David. And David is this, like, 
he's like the gold standard of worshipers. He just has, he's an awesome worshiper. But he has the story of him just dancing around like crazy and just celebrating God and what God has done. And he's just worshiping. And the people actually confront him. And they think he's gone mad. They think he's insane. And they come to him and they're like, what are you doing? And listen to David's response. In verse 22, it says, I will become even more undignified than this. And I love this. He says, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Like he's saying, I know, I look crazy, but I don't care. I don't know about you, but deep down, I want to worship like that. That's how I want my worship to be, undignified. When we worship God on our own or together, our worship needs to be extravagant. Our worship needs to be with all that we are. All our being, singing, shouting, you know, lifting our hands like we are doing, dancing, jumping up and down, crying, laughing, you know, bowing, falling on our face. You know, it's about just being exposed, being vulnerable, not caring what anyone says. It's supposed to be extravagant. I love how Matt Redman puts it. He says, our Heavenly Father loves us with an extravagant abandon. So passionate, undignified worship is our only reasonable response. You know, hallelujah comes from the word halal. It comes from the word halal. And halal means to, to, clamor, to be clamorously foolish or mad before the Lord. We're to be foolish before the Lord. You know, when, when Michael Hansen, who, who led worship and is, you know, one, one of the pastors here, first came to Vineyard Columbus, we were having this huge conference. I don't remember what it was. But he, he was leading this uh, workshop on worship. And there was about 100 people who came to this workshop. And uh, I went to it. And to be honest with you, I don't remember what, any, anything that he said. Um, but, but not because it was bad but, or, or un, unremarkable or anything, but it was just because what he did at the end was so powerful. At the end, he said, he pulled out this chair and he said, uh, I've been doing this thing where um, to help me visualize worship and, and praising Jesus, I've been pull, pulling out this chair in private and, and, you know, just worshiping and imagining that it's the throne of Jesus and just worshiping for Jesus He's like, and recently what I've been doing a lot more is just kind of dancing for Jesus. And he's like, I feel like the Lord is asking me to, to show that to you guys. And I just thought, oh no. <laughs> I did. I was like, this is going to be bad. This is going to be uncomfortable. I started to feel like embarrassed, like I was turning red. Like, but he, so he, he did. He turned on some music and he just began to dance. And I'll tell you what, there wasn't a dry eye in, in the room. There, there was something so amazing about seeing uh, someone who just had that, who had that extravagance, saying, I don't care what you guys think. It's, it's about me and Jesus. It's about him. So our worship needs to be like that. Our worship needs to be unashamed, passionate, extravagant. I don't mean we all need to go crazy, but I, I just... You know, here, here's what I want to do. Let's close our eyes. We're going to end off by doing this. Let's close our eyes.
So imagine you're alone with Jesus. It's just you and him. And you're in this, you know, safe environment. It's peaceful. You you begin to remember all the, the amazing things that Jesus has done. You start thinking about creation, how beautiful it is. You start remembering how broken you were, how sinful you were, and how even in that place Jesus loved you. How good he's been to you. How faithful he is. And Jesus asks you to, to, to worship him. And so you begin to worship Jesus with extravagance. You don't care what anyone else is thinking. You, you are worshiping Jesus. Let me ask you this. What are you doing? Are you dancing? Are you jumping up and down? Are you, are you cheering? Are you singing? Are you, are you bowing? So what's stopping us from worshiping Jesus like that now? I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's, it's what everyone thinks about us. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing one more worship song together. And we're going to worship the Lord. And let's worship the Lord with extravagance. So, so why don't we stand? Michael's going to lead us in a song. Or actually, you can do whatever. You can stand, you can bow, do whatever you want. But we're going to worship. Feel free to move around the room if you want. Or...
we just confess right now, Lord, we are sorry for our attitudes of worship. We're sorry for, for making worship about our needs, about ourselves. We just say it is, it's all about you. We worship you, Lord. We pray that our church, um, just that we will be known as extravagant worshipers. And we praise you, Jesus. Give us, give us a heart like Mary to worship you. Praise you, Jesus. You know, 1 Corinthians 4.10 says that we are to be fools for Christ. And, and John Wimber used to say that, I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? So I, I just want to encourage us. It's, it, this is a deepening response. This may have been uncomfortable and weird at first, but the more we do it, the more we press in, the more natural and just normal it will seem for us to just let loose and worship how God created us to worship. But I just want to encourage you as we, as we move in uh, uh, to, to Easter and, and, what, and remembering the, the sacrifice that Jesus made, let's let our worship be sacrificial. Let's let our worship reflect what Jesus uh, did. So let me just say a prayer and then I'll release you guys. Lord, we just praise you. We just ask that as we, as we go on with our week, we can just live a life of worship. And that our worship will be contagious. That it'll be a picture of, of and a reflection and evidence that you are a good God who works today. We praise your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, bless you guys as, as, as you leave. Uh, I just encourage you guys, sign up for the Seder meal. I encourage you to do that. There's the, the men's breakfast. Lots of things out, or men's conference. So sign up. <laughs>